Hi, my name is Marcus, and this is a companion podcast for the CG Jung Helpdesk Meetup Group. I host live events on Zoom every two weeks about the concepts and ideas of the Swiss psychologist Carl Gustav Jung. Every event I give a presentation about the Jungian concept, so have fun with this event's topic. So, hi. Uh, first, I want to apologize to everybody who attended the event. Normally, I'm recording them, but last time the quality was very, very bad. And when I was editing the podcast, I decided to just record it anew because it was <laughs> unbearable to hear in the recording. And my suspicion was uh, that it was also unbearable during the presentation. So I'm very thankful for all the people who stuck around <laughs> to learn something. It was under really difficult conditions. So um, I really appreciate that. And I want to say thank you. So I want to repeat the event in the best way that I can. And um, yeah, here it is. The topic of the event is a history of consciousness. And this is all based on the views of Carl Gustav Jung on consciousness and human beings and how consciousness developed in human beings. Carl Gustav Jung was a Swiss psychologist, lived from 1875 to 1961 and was an important person for the beginning of psychology, which was back then bleeding edge, completely new. Jung often talked about how it's the youngest science there is. He had his reasons for that, to think about it this way. When we talk about the history of consciousness, we should first start talking about what consciousness is. For Jung, consciousness was the ability to discriminate, to make a separation. For him, the unconscious was something very dark. Um, dark in the sense that you cannot really see and you can't differentiate. For example, when you're in a room and it has no light, it can even be a room yet that you're familiar with, but you don't really know where one thing begins and the other thing ends. You're not sure what something is. We are extremely visual creatures. A big part of our brain is for visual information processing which is unusual because for most animals it's uh, smell, but for human beings it's sight. And when it's something unconscious, you cannot really grasp what it is and you have to gather more information what something is. So when you shine a light in the room, then you can see the things, you can discriminate them and say, okay, this is a bed, this is a cupboard, this is a pillow. Before you were really just guessing and it's important to discriminate things, to separate things. And this is one of the functions of consciousness. And for Jung, it was very important that consciousness can fulfill this function to really dissect a problem. Another example, you have a car, you drive down the road and you realize suddenly something is happening and your car is not driving anymore. So something very simple, your car, at least in your perception, is something that drives suddenly is not driving anymore and you have to find out what the problem is. So you start to investigate and all the stuff you have not thought about before suddenly comes into your consciousness because you're applying your attention to it and you're separating different parts. You're checking, is the gas full? Is the battery full? Is something wrong with oil? And so on. You start checking all these things that you have before have not thought about car was a car and only by investigating it consciously it splits up in all those different parts that are all have a different function and are another 
all different sources of possible failure. This is consciousness, a willful act. Your consciousness consists of everything that you know and everything you can do, everything you have acquired as knowledge, as skills over your lifetime. So memory is also very associated for Jung with consciousness. And it is discrimination also in action to do things or not to do things, to have a complex action as fixing a car and saying, okay, I will not check the paint, right? I will not check the glove compartment to see if tissues are there. To not do a lot of things, that's also a sign of consciousness for Jung, to self-regulate one's actions and to keep on those actions. And this is something that, let's say, smaller children have a problem with, to just keep attention at something. The attention shifts, so only when people get older and older, they gain the ability to really stick to plans, to formulate a plan, which is already conscious action, and sticking to them, which is also a conscious action. While this all sounds very, very great, uh, for all the reasons <laughs> that we could think of, as he says, modern human beings are very conscious in their ways and very sophisticated in their consciousness as we build up all the institutions, all the education to foster consciousness with all its abilities. What he saw is that you become blindsided in the way that when you focus on something, you block out everything else. It's a little bit like the eye. When you have your eye and you have the retina, there's only a small spot that can really produce high-resolution images. But you don't think about it that way. You think everything around you is high-resolution. But you don't really see it. It's a trick of the mind. When you stick out your arm and look at your thumb, the thumbnail is roughly the size of this spot on the retina that is high-resolution. So it's really just a small dot. And what your brain automatically does is collecting all those high-resolution information and giving you the impression that everything you see is very high resolution. But the brain, when it's focused on something, blocks out everything else. It discriminates. It picks up a very specific part that you are, were looking for in reality and blocks out everything else. The same as a surgeon concentrates only on a very small part on the whole body. The whole body is huge, it's complex, just biologically wise. But it's also a person with a complex life and emotional landscape and relationships and skills and so on. But when the surgeon operates, it's only very small actions and very small part that he's paying attention to and he has to pay attention to it. This is what is a dilemma of consciousness that you can see things very high resolution, but you have to consciously apply yourself to it. And Jung says when you're too long in a certain mode of existing, you start to think that this is everything there is in reality. So let's say you're with your car and you're focusing on fixing your car, <laughs> but you might not notice that people are passing you by that you could ask. Or you are so focused on one part of the car, for example, the oil, that you forget to check uh, whether the battery is dead. So this is an effect of a phenomenon called uh, functional fixedness that you start to think only in very, let's say, repeating patterns because you're used to it. So it's a very beaten path that you take that often works, but sometimes it does not. So you have to normally apply your consciousness somewhere else. So 
another advantage of consciousness is that of reflection to not only see and find the problem by applying conscious energy on it, but rather to reflect, okay, why did this happen? Did I not fill up the tank? Did I not load the battery? Did I have no air in the tires? So to go back mentally in the past and think about it and learn from it. And thus integrating this hidden unconscious knowledge from the past into the present consciousness to prevent those errors from happening again. So that's roughly the understanding that Jung had from consciousness. And consciousness develops, as I already said in a, this small example of the car breaking down, it happens also in um, the lifetime of every human being. When a human being starts out as a baby, a baby is just, and also a small child, pure instinct, just pure emotion. There's no really continuity, there's no reflecting, there's no willful action, and so on. This bundle of energy <laughs> is just acting how it feels like, or rather how it's acted upon. Something in the child is suddenly hungry, sleepy, angry, joyous, and so on. No continuity, no sustained willful action. And it is through education, through the parents, but also the family or society and school, university or at work, that human beings are able to develop a more robust consciousness to make it grow by giving knowledge and training, but also to train consciousness in the sense of applying attention, applying will and sustaining that will over time. And this is what happens in the beginning of a life till you reach adulthood and have a job. And normally in that case, you're already established. So this example of one's life can also be taken to whole of humanity from an individual life to the life of humanity all in all as humanity and humans are just like animals but as far as we can see most animals do not have consciousness they live on instincts and they're successful but they are also very dependent on strict environmental parameters where they can act and where all those instincts make sense human beings can adapt to changing environments, changing situations through consciousness by discrimination, prioritization, willful acting, reflection, and so on. But this is all a fairly new acquirement Jung saw. So there is a past where human beings acted more like animals. And at a certain point, something very unique happened. And this is this acquirement of consciousness and this generation of willful acts. As Jung sees the psyche, it's always building stuff on top of each other. Similar how the brain has certain areas that are incredibly old. So old that they are also called the reptile part of the brain because you also have it in reptiles and um, other animals. And you have more sophisticated stuff around it. And Jung says, deep in every human being, there is this, he calls, primitive psychology. Primitive not being a value judgment, but rather a description that couldn't be best understood as pre-scientific. 
when we see it in a psychological manner. And he talks a lot about primitives in his work. So I will use this word also to give you an understanding what he meant by that. He saw himself also as a primitive, or rather uh, being able to think in this primitive psychology because it's superstitious, it's pre-scientific. It's having ideas about the world and how it is that are not verified in the sense where we would say, okay, this is how science is done. This primitive psychology can still be observed, according to Jung, in hunter-gatherer tribes, indigenous people in South America and Africa, but also in Asia. But he said it's not like modernity is something that is distributed evenly and everywhere the same. This means, he said, you can even find primitive people in the tram. But the same way there are people who are psychologically still in the Middle Ages. Or he said there are people who are psychologically in the year 3000, way ahead. There's always this differences in people that are more a matter of fact. Again, not a value judgment, it's just seeing how psychology works. And he was really interested in psychology of human beings. And as he saw this as a foundation of psychology, he investigated it and he went into Africa and South America and also a lot of other places to directly talk with the people and to experience how they experience the world. Because a lot of these things are still present in the modern world and even for us. He says this layer of civilization is pretty thin. It's an acquirement which is very recent. Human beings as they are existing today anatomically is roughly two million years. But when you look how long culture exists or even written recordings, that's just a couple of thousand years. So culture maybe a little bit over 10,000 years and writing a couple of thousand years. And this is also the point where Jung says their consciousness really is developed and started when people started to write things down because it's a form of reflection. So what would he see in this primitive psychology? For him, the Roman psychology was also a primitive psychology. It's very strongly associated with unconscious and the way he, how he saw the unconscious. Same as a child is unconscious and it's only those little islands he called that rise up from just some moments above the surface of the sea of the unconscious and um, their reflection and willful action and so on can take place and then disappear again when it's exhausted as consciousness exhausts itself. So we have to sleep every day. Right? And if you applied your mind willfully to something for a long time, you're just exhausted and you need to do something else and you need to relax and you have to recharge. So just as in a child, this is only very short amounts of time that get longer and longer with time where it can act consciously. The same is also true for a primitive psychology, Jung says. So it's very strong, characterized by unconscious attributes. And... Unconscious for Jung means this mixed and entangled perception that things are not clearly differentiated and separated as this is a function of consciousness to separate. He saw a lack of separation between internal and external world. So when he saw primitives or indigenous people or hunter-gatherer tribes, as whatever you want to call it, 
talk about ghosts, he rather saw this as people experiencing their thoughts without realizing they're their own or having dreams and thinking they're also real events happening. And this is what he's calling participation mystique. You cannot really separate yourself from the surroundings or you deal in incorrect separation between the surroundings and yourself. When you look at, for example, the Romans or the Greek gods, they very often symbolized emotions. And when you have ancient Greek literature, they are often described as emotions. So people were not really in love, but rather they were struck by the error of Eros. And they were not angry, but rather Eros drove into them. It's this externalization of emotions that are then characterized as human beings, as gods that are still human-like with superhuman powers and immortal, but still human-like in their appearance that characterizes a separation of things that are normally internal to see in the external, but also to be more connected to the environment. One example is this idea of rain dances or dances for good harvest. It's really this idea that because people are doing something, it is happening in the outside world. Jung talked about an encounter he had with the Pablo Indians in South America. And every morning they would come out of the hut, greet the sun by spitting in their hands and showing the palms of their hands to the sky. And their idea was that they were causing the sun to rise. It was these actions that made the sun rise and they got very angry when the white people showed up and the white people tried to discourage this behavior because they said if they don't stop <laughs> there will be no more sun in the future because they're taking care for the sun to rise. And this is an amazing connection just to the external world and to the environment that it's today it's pretty much lacking. Today people are more atomized and said okay I have no influence over everything or, or anything. And this is a way that's still working in the psyche according to Jung. So Anthropomizing the gods, the emotions. Participation mystique is this effect called of not being separated really from the outside world. Jung had also this example of when people could make bows, for example. They said they could do this because their grandfather was a bow. And this was a completely valid explanation. People could be coming from bows or boats or anything else. And he also said there were other people who said, okay, we are parrots. Except for our <laughs> physical body, we are parrots, which is interesting. So what we see also in the modern world is a strong degree of abstraction. This is an achievement of modernity and civilization to abstract things as to have, for example, numbers that symbolize something that not the thing, but there's something superordinate above all things. When many decades ago researchers wanted to do IQ testing on indigenous people and they had a pretty hard time to explain the concept of numbers to the people because for a number to exist you have to abstract and have to say yeah all these things are the same. It was not that people could not count but there was no need to count. For example when there were people with bows and arrows they would 
look at the arrows and with one glance you could see that everything is there because every arrow has a different characteristic and they know when one is missing. Same when you have shepherds, they know all those sheep because every sheep is different because in reality everything is a little bit different. So they don't need to count, they have the feeling whether everything is there. It's only the abstract mind that really said, okay, I'm just gonna count. I'm gonna reduce reality to a point where everything suddenly is the same. And this is, of course, an advantage of consciousness, but also a disadvantage because you're losing all those nuances and details of reality. And primitives or primitive psychology is way more detailed in that sense. There's less abstraction. Jung talked about how drawings of animals on walls or caves don't show the feet because the feet are mostly hidden in grass or mud or water or whatever. You really rarely see the feet of animals. So they were not depicting them. What they saw was not an animal with feet. And it's this extreme empiricism, let's say, by depicting things how they really are with all their details that is different from our understanding, which is more abstract. You draw an animal, of course you draw feet because an animal has feet, even though that you rarely see them. He saw this lack of separation, lack of abstraction as an advantage in the sense that people were way more aware of their psychology and things that were happening internally because they were also experiencing the things that happen internally outside. This phenomena is called projection. You don't see the things necessarily how they are outside, but you see your psychological contents. But by being aware of this, they were closer to human nature and how psychology works. Something where Jung says the modern world is so noisy and consciousness is so strong that it pushes everything else away into a dark corner, into the unconscious, where it stays. But there are dangers in the unconscious as it can disintegrate consciousness and overwhelm it. And this is an explanation he had for a lot of different patterns of behavior that primitive people showed. This fear of losing oneself, of losing the soul, as he said, of losing consciousness and by being overwhelmed by instincts and emotions or ghosts, as the primitives would say. So they would envision all those safeguards against being overwhelmed. In general, it was a great fearfulness of unusual things and of changes. And he noticed that primitives are very polite, very polite, as they not try to overwhelm the consciousness of the other party that all those unbundled emotions come out. Think of a child that is not like a small child, but it's a full-grown man that starts to have a tender tantrum, which can hurt the person or other persons also. So it's this fear of being overwhelmed by the unconscious, by impersonal factors. So what are all those safeguards that are available? Because this is already a seed to understanding how consciousness developed more and more. He saw a lot of rituals centered around getting people into a specific mood. So 
when we have to suspect that the general degree of consciousness is pretty low and very fragile, applying of willful actions must be a problem. And he saw that when people were, for example, going on a hunt, they had to have a ritual for getting into the mind of a hunter and think like a hunter. So they would have dances and um, rituals to foster rallying up people into this mood of acting like a hunter, to go out, now is the time to hunt. He had this one situation where he wrote a letter, he was in Africa, and he wanted to have it sent. So he gave it to one of the tribesmen and said, please go to the next city or town and give it to the post office so that it can be sent. And the person just looked at him and did not know what to do. But the guide he was with Jung said, you're doing it completely wrong. He went to the guy and grabbed his arm with the letter in it and said, this is a letter, this is important. You will now run into the next city and you will not stop until you reach the city and you will do everything to take this letter. You will go in there and say, I am this and this and I have this letter and I will send this now. And it was this whole song and dance that went on for minutes and minutes. But the other person finally got it and got into the mood. And then he ran off and he ran a crazy amount of time, like 40, 50, 60 kilometers without stopping because he was in that mindset and just kept him going. And this is still very similar to what we do today on concerts or political rallies or board teams. This language of saying, we will do this, this now will be that and bringing up the emotions and getting everyone in a state of mind. Motivational speakers do the same. It's motivation. And we still do all those things even when we are not aware of it. And this not being aware part of is also another thing that's characteristic of primitive psychology. Very often it's not really clear why something is done. And Jung criticized this about other people when they talked about primitive psychology because they said, oh, the people are dumb. They don't know why they're doing things. The example that I had with the Pablo Indians, Jung, it took him a really long time to find out because the people were confused when he asked them. And we have still the same thing today, even for us. His example is if we would go to England and ask the people, okay, do you have any rituals or superstitions? The people would say, no, no, everything is rational. We know everything and um, no need to investigate something. We are fully aware of what we're doing. But then every year in spring, people would go in their garden, hang on little colored eggs into the bushes and everywhere. And when you then would go to the same person and ask, okay, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? They would say, well, what do you mean? We've always done this. And uh, it doesn't mean nothing. We, we just hang it up. But of course, it does not mean nothing. This is Eastern. Same when you suddenly start uh, chopping down a tree and put it up in your living room at Christmas. There is a meaning, but it does not have to be consciously formulated for people to really follow it. And here Jung sees the past of humans as something unconscious, as this is just done without thinking and without reflection. This does not mean it does not work or is bad or so, but this is the 
beginning how people act. They first act unconsciously and then through reflection they can infer why they have done something. This is something that happens in therapy, that people try to understand their past by investigating it consciously again. So you have these rituals to get people into moods. You have the politeness so not to rouse the emotions of the other person so that they can not get overwhelmed because consciousness is not strong enough to keep those emotions at bay. You start having contracts and laws to make behavior standardized and foreseeable. It's a fun thing. It does not matter where, but human beings just have this instinct and urge to create laws. Every society, every culture, every tribe, they all have laws. And this is to, again, have understandable behavior and predictable behavior. And there are a lot of taboos associated with laws. And here Jung saw already a sign how to cultivate consciousness by having a taboo. By not being able to do certain things or say certain things, you have to apply conscious effort because you're not doing things. And this is strengthening already consciousness. It's like a workout because you have to watch yourself. When I was younger and in school and we started to have English lessons, a very common problem for German students when they learn English is the sound of TH, the, because it's not common to the German language. Some students start to develop a lisp that wasn't there before, but very often how it's explained to German students is <laughs> to cultivate a lisp. And I started to cultivate that without me realizing it. I was quite unconscious about it. And also my parents did not realize it. it was someone else who pointed it out to us because for us it was common. We did not really think about it and we were not aware of it. But an outside person came to us and said, yeah, well, Marcus is lisping <laughs> and then it's first hard to believe but then yeah you find out pretty quickly. So when you go into training to detrain this lisp it is really about paying attention not only by you but also by the people around you. So everybody is sitting there when you talk to check whether you're lisping or not and this is same as a taboo. You cannot do things and you have to pay attention otherwise you get punished for it. In the case of lisping, it was knocking on the table, which was pretty loud. And you also felt bad because you said, oh, okay, I was lisping again. So, and similar with the gods who were pretty close and personal, as you had different gods, all for different emotions. The further civilization came, it became monotheistic and more removed from the person. It became more abstract. Same as when you look in the Bible. And you look in the Old Testament how God is presented. And the Garden of Eden is really just a person. And he's approachable. But as the Old Testament goes on and on and on and on, God becomes more and more abstract. It's then a burning bush with Moses. Or he's just a voice. Or later it's just a feeling. So it's already this development of consciousness and this abstracting more and more and removing more from the complex bodily world with all those details. And when this development of consciousness took place, the seed of thoughts also changed. So our modern understanding is thoughts are happening in the brain and the brain of course is in the head. So everything happens in the head. But what Jung noticed when he talked with 
indigenous and primitive people, they often would say, no, thoughts are happening in the stomach because they would have the sensation. We still have the same sensations when you are fearful or have strong emotions. You find that your belly or stomach is acting up. Also in the heart, which followed after the idea of the stomach being the seat of thinking, then the heart came as your heart also feels a certain way when you are doing certain things or experiencing certain things. And again, it is development of abstraction. The first one is very bodily. Jung said when you have hysterics, they very often have digestive problems. So it's not hard to understand why you would think, okay, the stomach could be the seat of certain ideas. Even about morality, you feel bad when you do something wrong. It's really a feeling and it can be in your stomach or in your heart. So it's not so far-fetched to think that this is where all this is coming from. But now we say, of course, everything is in the brain. This is abstract. The brain does not even have pain receptors. It's why you can do brain surgery without any anesthesia. But of course, you can feel a lot in your stomach and in your heart. As the separation also takes place, you suddenly start to have more individuality. In a tribe, all the people are very much the same and everybody is connected. And this degree of individuality that is like basic for us today, to say everybody is different, is their own person and so on. This is also a fairly new discovery and accomplishment. Again, it's this idea of, of separation. So this brings us, of course, to the modern world where we now have a strong grasp on consciousness. At least we think that way. We reap all the benefits of consciousness, but also all the downsides of consciousness. And it's this discriminated, separated view that is hurting us in a certain regard. Jung said, humanity dreamt for the whole time about flying, being able to fly and soar through the air. And the first thing that people built were bombers. So it's this cold rationality that makes a lot of things possible, a lot of negative things also. And with it comes a lack of morality. As you're again focused so much on something and how to do it and not really on the question, should you do it? And through these abstractions, we reached a very removed frame of mind. And by separating the inner and the outer and having clearly more input from outside than from inside, there's this whole exaggeration of the importance of the outside world, which is in itself is dead again. This is materialism, which came up in the 19th century and also 20th century, where you treat the whole world basically like Minecraft. It's just blocks of material that you can use to do other stuff, but it's all dead. And this is a completely different view than primitive psychology, where you say, this are the stones of ancients, or this is a holy lake, and all those things. This is contaminated, of course, with internal psychology, but there's a connection to the outside, which is now more missing, and you have this hardcore materialism. A little bit like Freud also thought that everything comes from the outside, because everything outside is dead, but it's very overwhelming, as there's a lot of to explore outside. And it's this especially Western mind of 
ignoring the inner. Where Jung saw his main mission to reintroduce psychology and the experiences of the inner to the Western mind, as this has been discounted. And even though that they were thinking we're very powerful, as we are very conscious and rational and scientific, and we can look at all those accomplishments, everything we have today is a result of conscious endeavor and improving things also. We are missing out on a lot of things, especially as this connection to nature, as Jung says. We remove you like a bird that's rising, 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 rising and forgetting that it has a body. And as again consciousness is focused on a very small part and thinking, okay, it's all powerful, it can do everything. It's not noticing the things that are happening in the background and how easily it can break again. He really saw that in atrocities of the First World War and Second World War. Jung lived through both wars and he served as a doctor on the front lines of the First World War. And it was before that war, a hundred year peace in Europe, more or less. There were smaller conflicts, but they were resolved rather quickly. It was after Napoleon, the idea was that war basically is over. And then there comes the absolute horror of the First World War. And then, of course, all the atrocities of the Second World War. And there he thought the main problem of the modern world, which is not a lack of stuff, but rather psychic epidemics, that people get overwhelmed by emotions and especially ideas that are contagious and just gather large groups and cause tremendous damage. He saw this as a danger of ideology and a danger of all the isms, communism, fascism, that sprang up fairly recently. Even the idea of nationalism is not that old. And it was, in his eyes, the breakdown of religion that caused this. As he said, again, just like laws or rituals or taboos, as they get codified in a religion, and this religion represents the inner experiences of the people, it can act as a psychotherapeutic way to help people to navigate this dangers of the unconscious. But with time, this broke down. It has been going on for a very long time, for hundreds of years. It's a slow and steady process in his eyes. This left people pretty much unprepared for the things that can happen in the soul and to get swept again by unconscious forces. And this is where he thought lies the reason why psychology came up suddenly as people were now confronted with their psychology. Before it was been taken care of, there have been all those institutions and rituals and taboos in place to prevent things from happening. And again, this was not a conscious decision from people in the past, but rather best practice, a Darwinism of practices. And by disintegrating all those stuff, suddenly the floodgates were open again. And all this has to be rediscovered. Of course, we cannot say, just read the Bible, follow the Bible and everything will be fine. The need for consciousness and the need for understanding is too high, he says. But culture and societies start to generate in new germs and seeds of bringing this together, consciousness and the unconscious, and to have both harmonize together. 
And there he really saw psychology and the work of psychology and why suddenly a hundred years ago everybody became interested in it because people were suddenly confronted with their own psychology. It's what was not taken care of and they were alone with these problems. And this is what he would do with his patients when they would have problems. He would try to explain psychology to them. Only so far that they needed, he saw himself really as a doctor. His job was to bring people back into their normal life. They were living a normal life. They had an experience that disrupted this and he wanted to bring them back to have a job, have relationships, be a productive member of society because this is where a lot of people find meaning. And so he would give people enough knowledge so that they can understand this. And this is very often what I've heard from people when they, for example, listen to the biblical lectures of John Peterson. He frames all this in psychological ways. And for many people, they are now interested in those Christian stories and teachings after viewing them through a psychological lens. And maybe this is where Jung is right and says, yeah, this is the lens that we have to use today to see it through a psychological lens and have this language. He says the concepts and everything that he's talking about is very similar to that that existed thousands of years ago. But the words are different. The connections are a little bit different. It's more living. It's not dead. Like religion is mostly for us, especially in the Western world. So, so this was my presentation in regards to a history of consciousness through all the different texts and ideas that Jung has written. I hope this was entertaining and that you learned a bit and that it helps to understand Jung better. If you also want to join, find the group on meetup.com. The name of the group is CG Jung Helpdesk. Also make sure to subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice. 